Chapter Two of The Fun of Getting Thin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Lehman, Reseda, California. The Fun of Getting Thin by Samuel G. Blythe. Chapter Two The So Called Cures. Broadly speaking, the methods of fat reduction most in vogue are divided into four classes, mechanical, physical, medicinal, and dietary. The first two are not worth considering by a man who has anything else to do. I do not doubt that a man who could devote his whole time to the work could, by means of some of the appliances offered, from the apparatus in a gymnasium to rubber shirts, get off fat, nor do I doubt the efficacy of exercise and its accompaniments in the way of sweating and baths and all that. But when a person has a living to make, these methods are useless, not through any demerit of their own, but because the man who is fat hasn't the time or opportunity, and, more than all, soon fails in the inclination to use them. If you can tell me anything more ghastly than taking a system of canned exercises in the morning or at night, in one's bedroom or bathroom, or elsewhere, with no other incentive than some physical gain that, when you come to sum it up, is largely fictitious in value, or comes inevitably to be thought so, I would like to have you step forward and name it. I have been all through that phase of it, and I know, and I also know by heart the patter of the persons who recommend it. Further, I know the person round the forties doesn't live who enjoys this sort of thing, no matter what he says about it, and without enjoyment exercise is of no use, or worse than useless. It can be done, of course, and lumps of muscle can be stuck on almost any part of the body, but what's the use to the person who has to make a living? Then, too, I am speaking now of methods that can be used by men and women who are no longer young. A young man can and will do stunts in physical culture that an older man cannot do, either satisfactorily or comfortably. So far as the medicinal or drug method of fat reduction is concerned, any fat man or woman who takes drugs to reduce flesh or to help deserves all that he or she will get, and that will be plenty. There's no need of saying anything further on that subject. Then there remains the dietary method, the old familiar friend, diet. Starting with William Banting, Maybe it didn't start with William, but before him. But, starting with Bill for present purposes, there have been more systems of diet invented and promulgated than there have been systems of religion. And that means about one in every hundred has evolved a system. You can get them of all sorts and all sure to do the work, ranging from an exclusive diet of beefsteak and spinach to desiccated hay and creamed alfalfa. There are monodiets, duo diets, vegetable diets, fruit diets, nut diets, all kinds of diets, each guaranteed to take off flesh if you have too much or to put it on if you have too little. 
Basically, however, the anti-flesh diets are about the same. You are told to cut out everything you want to eat and exist on triply toasted bread and the white meat of a chicken, or string beans and sawdust, or any other combination the sharps say will not produce fat, but will sustain life in a lingering form. They surround these diet talks and presentments with a lot of frills about proteins and calories and all that sort of guff, and make it as difficult as possible. Now, mark you, I am not saying diet, scientific diet, is not a good thing, a magnificent step forward in the progress of this world. But I am saying that the average fat-reducing diet is impossible to any but a man or woman of the ultimate willpower, and is a hardship that need not be endured. I have tried these diets, and I know. They may help reduce flesh, but they are not easy to follow, and they do not contain things that any person wants to eat, or is accustomed to eat, or will eat, to the exclusion of things that person does want to eat and will eat. It can be done. One of these diets can be followed if the willpower is there, and the flesh will come off, but the method does not conduce to the best results. The physical force is reduced, and there is a much easier way. I have one of these diet lists before me now, from the highest-priced flesh-reducing specialist in the world, who claims to have taken mountains of flesh off mountainous men. In the beginning, for example, it says, quote, You will understand, of course, that sugar is entirely debarred, also that fats, milk, cheese, cream, eggs, and so on, are cut off for the time being. Also that bread and farinaceous foods are all cut off. In place of bread or toast, you must use gluten biscuits. Unquote. For breakfast, in this dietary, one or two gluten biscuits are allowed and a cup of unsweetened coffee. Also, six ounces of lean grilled steak, chops or chicken, and any white fish, or the whites of two eggs. This is about the layout for luncheon and dinner. It is all about as exciting and appetizing as that. The proposition is, of course, that you are not taking food which will make you fat, and you must, therefore, inevitably lose flesh. So far, so good. But the difficulty is not in the system, but in the hardship of carrying it out. You can't have anything to eat that you want to eat. You torture yourself for a space and lose some flesh, then, when you do go back to your normal method of eating, the flesh comes galloping back, and there you are. It is the same with exercise. You can take off fat by exercise, but once you begin, you are doomed to everlasting exercise, for the minute you stop, back comes the fat, and more of it than you had before you began to reduce. It is a tough game, any way you play it, if you are disposed to be fat. No man living, who isn't a freak, can persist always in one diet. Nor can any man who has anything else on his mind be always exercising, especially after he has reached forty years of age, 
when there are so many better things to do and time is valuable and the real idea of how to live has just begun to percolate also until one is forty if reasonably healthy flesh is a joke and not so much of a burden as it becomes later i haven't a thing in the world against any or all of these methods i have tried most of them and know most of them are bogus but i am not trying to dissuade any person from taking off fat in any way that suits any individual fancy or the fancy of any reducer into whose hands the victim may have fallen if you have a good method go to it and more power to you my idea is this i am setting down here a record of my own experiences and that is all every person who does not like what i have to say is cheerfully advised to lump it any person who is as fat as i was and who wants to get thinner is at liberty to follow my method if circumstances are similar results will be similar if not there will be no results i am not advising or urging or putting forth any propaganda here is what happened it may suit you or it may not either way i am indifferent in the words of the coon song i've got mine i hope i make myself clear i have no mission or message or any flub-dub of that kind i am not one of those boys who urge you to do this for your own good i have read a ton of literature put out by persons who found something that agreed with them and immediately started out to reform the world along that line your reformer anyhow is a person who wants all the rest of the world to do as he wants the rest of the world to do not as the rest of the world wants to do and the reason reformers get passed so numerously is because our society is so constituted that we spend every one of our brief years doing what other people want us to do and tell us to do and never do anything we ourselves want to do once i got seventeen pounds of books telling that the only way to cure everything was to fast i knew a man who tried that the results were grand he fasted a long time and cured himself of what ailed him only unfortunately just before the last vestige of disease was removed the fasting killed him i contend that man might just as well have died of what ailed him originally as to cure that disease and die of the cure it seems to me it is as broad as it is long however have at this fat reduction process of mine you must bear with a few personal reminiscences i was a big husky brute of a boy thick-chested broad-shouldered country-bred and with an appetite that knew no bounds after i got going at my business when i was twenty-five or so i was pinned down to a desk for about ten years i worked hard in a most exacting place i was so healthy it hurt i had just as much appetite for food as i had ever had but i didn't get a chance to bat around as i had been accustomed to do and burn up that food the result was inevitable i began to get fat i had a big chest forty-six inches and the fat filled in underneath 
that big chest combined with my broad shoulders concealed the size of my paunch and i didn't realize i was accumulating that paunch until it was soldered riveted lashed glued nailed and otherwise fastened to me when i got my growth i weighed about a hundred and eighty-five pounds and was a pretty formidable physical proposition when i woke up to the fact that i was getting fat i found i weighed two hundred and twenty pounds that extra thirty-five pounds was mostly fat excess baggage still it didn't bother me any i had the strength to tote it round and had the shoulders and the chest to conceal it i didn't show any bay window as most fat men do as they used to say you're big all over you carry it all right all this time i was eating three or four times a day and eating everything that came my way also i drank some not excessively but some whiskey and some beer and occasionally some wine and cocktails about the average amount of drinking the average man does i thought i was getting too fat and i wrestled with a bicycle all one summer taking long rides and plugging round a good deal i did some centuries but continued eating like a horse naturally because of the outdoor exercise and drank a good deal of beer as will be seen all the fat i had was legitimate enough i put it on myself there was no hereditary nonsense about it i was responsible for every ounce of it the net result of that summer's bicycle campaign was a gain of five pounds in weight i was harder but i was fatter too when i was thirty-five i began to experiment i then weighed two hundred and twenty-five pounds i went to the canned exercise the physical torture professor the diet the salts and all the rest of it taking off a few pounds but putting it all back again and more as soon as i stopped these attempts numbered about two a year between times i ate as i wanted to and drank as i pleased things ran along until the first of january nineteen eleven i knew i was getting fatter for my tailor told me so and my belts and old clothes all proved it still i didn't bother much i thought i was lingering round about two hundred and thirty-five too much of course but i got away with it pretty well except in hot weather and when i went up in the high mountains and i was reasonably content i was fat all right my waist was only two inches smaller than my chest and that meant my waist was forty-four inches in girth as a matter of fact being scant five feet ten and a half i was bigger than a house but i deluded myself with that stuff about my broad shoulders and my deep chest and thought it didn't show it did show of course i was a fat man a big fat man carrying forty pounds or more of excess weight i had dieted and quit exercised and quit gone on the water wagon and fallen off had fussed round a good deal spending a lot of money in the attempt and i was getting fatter all the time i hated to admit that fact 
i tried to fool myself into the conviction that i wasn't getting any larger and all the time i knew i was i even went so far as to stop getting on the scales and when anybody as almost everybody did said why you're getting bigger ain't you i always replied no i think not i stick along about two hundred and thirty-five pounds a year ago last summer i went up into the mountains where i usually go for my fun i had noticed a shortness of breath and a wheeziness in previous summers and had felt my heart pounding pretty hard but that summer i noticed these things acutely i couldn't get any air to breathe my heart pounded like a pneumatic riveter any little exercise tired me and when in the lowlands in hot weather i was the perspiring marvel and the most uncomfortable as well as the sloppiest person you ever saw it was fierce i was doing a good deal of walking in those days had to burn up the fuel i was taking into my body also i noticed it was mighty hard to keep awake after dinner unless i got out into the air and kept moving i felt well enough and the doctor said i was organically all right i kept informed on those points but i was fat also though i lied to myself i knew i was getting fatter end of chapter two recording by christine layman